I'm Alex Marlowe, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast, and we begin today by breaking down the latest effort by the Republican Party to sell out their own voter base by compromising with Democrats on gun controls, particularly with a massive expansion of subjectively applied red flag laws, which will inevitably be used to harass law-abiding citizens. Really bad news, and we break it all down, plus the rest of the proposed legislation. Next, up for the Rhino Caucus. Amnesty. No, I'm not kidding. Amnesty for illegal aliens will be their next focus. Not good. Then there is good news that I get to announce on the show. A victory for the good guys. Kellogg's, the woke food company beloved by pre and mid diabetics, has announced that they're going to have to break up. Uh, I recall and relive Breitbart's effort to boycott the refined carbohydrate seller six years ago. And since then, their stocks have been flat, if not down. And finally, they're throwing in the towel and they provide a product that is making a lot of people less healthy and they're very woke. So they're easy to root against. And so good news there. We touch on election night results, January the 6th hearing nonsense, China capitalizing on Biden's weakness, i.e. falling off a bicycle and more pain for woke Disney. Then I make fun of Merrick Garland, who went to Ukraine with Zoolander. Yes, that Zoolander for we don't really know why, plus much more in the opening of the show. Our guest today is fan favorite and Breitbart News legal contributor Ken Glukowski. Ken Ken recaps a big victory for religious liberty that was delivered by the Supreme Court earlier this week, and then he lays out the stakes for the forthcoming Dobbs abortion decision. Next, I ask him if the current proposed gun control will stand up to scrutiny constitutionally, and you won't want to miss his answer to that. And then we have our call of the day. Let's get into it. Um, There's a huge religious liberty decision yesterday, which uh, where the I think it was a six to three vote, um, which ruled in a very favorable way towards uh, the good guys, meaning that um, discriminating. Uh, It it was discriminating against religious schools was a a, the Supreme Court took issue with it. Let's put it that way. And a a victory that we'll get into later in the show for, I think, those who like the idea of uh, religious liberty being protected in this country. Plus, Ken is very knowledgeable on all things guns. Um, And that's where we'll begin today with new gun control being put forward with even some Republican backing. Uh, Last night, Senate unveiled language of a gun control deal, which expands background checks and expands prohibited purchases. Uh, This is not something that is a good thing. and It's something that is being pushed by uh, Senator John Cornyn, Republican from Texas, and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky. And I wonder why, particularly with McConnell, um, why anyone who is a America First Republican MAGA-type Republican, why anyone would want anything to do with Mitch McConnell becoming the Senate Majority Leader next term. And uh, McConnell's not making uh, uh, th- that statement look at all unreasonable when reports like this come out. The gun, con- the gun control expands background checks for buyers 18 to 20 uh, and expands prohibited buyers list by adding dating relationships under the domestic violence clause. So... Uh, they're just trying to expand any ways to uh, prohibit you from being able to. Um, uh, th- this is something the Democrats talked about with something called a boyfriend loophole. I I, I guess that's if you're uh, abusing 
someone in a relationship with, which you should never do anyway, that apparently the stakes are higher if you're already married versus not married. And uh, Democrats don't like that. So this is a sop to them. It contains financial incentives for states to agree to adopt red flag laws. Uh, that's the one that strikes me as pretty unbelievable and one we saw coming. Uh, Matt Gates was on Matt Boyle's show on Saturday, Congressman, and he made this exact point that it was basically what this thing is going to do is it's going to bribe states with federal money to enact red flag laws. And it seems like a pretty clear called shot from Gates. That that's exactly what appears to be in the legislation. So uh, that that is something that I, I don't think is uh, good because that's one of those ones where you get on, on a slippery slope pretty fast. Uh, it, it's a background, more background checks between 18 to 20 year olds. It, it, tough in a vacuum to argue against something like that. Also tough in a vacuum to argue that you should, you could potentially lose your ability to get guns if you treat a person you're in a marriage with versus someone you're in a dating relationship with differently. Though, of course, you know, proving that in a court of law, um, I think will be somewhat complex. That stuff in a vacuum, which none of this is, I, I kind of get it. But the using federal money to bribe states to create red flag laws, which will, which you know, will be used to target specifically people with our particular worldview, where people uh, for a very long time have treated people who disagree with them politically as having mental health issues. That's exactly what's going to happen here. Is that anyone who has normative conservative viewpoints is going to run the risk of, of bumping up into one of these categories where someone could red flag law you and just say that you're a crazy person and can't have a gun. And that's where these things will go and it will succeed in blue states and then purple states and then who knows from there. So uh, the NRA came out guns blazing, which is good for them. This is one thing I like about the NRA is that they tend to not play patty cakes with people who are trying to infringe in the Second Amendment. And they made the obvious point. This might not be constitutional. You're not supposed to be able to infringe on the Second Amendment. And that is exactly what is being called for here. Uh, and they also note, as I note often, if not all, all the time, when we talk about these stories. It does not appear as though these gun controls would necessarily have stopped any of the recent mass shootings, which is the main thing. It just shows you that this is using the dead children of Uvalde and the dead, mostly black people in Buffalo to try to enact things that the uh, gun grabbers have always wanted. So NRA writes this legislation can be used to restrict lawful gun purchases, infringe upon the rights of law-abiding Americans, use federal dollars to fund gun control measures being adopted by state and local politicians, <laughs> And the bill leaves too much discretion in the hands of government officials and also contains undefined and overboard provisions inviting interference with our constitutional freedoms. That's well said. So um, they also invoke the Supreme Court, noting that in the Supreme Court, we've kind of gone through some of the stuff and this might not make it, indicating that this is headed for a Supreme Court challenge. And it just doesn't seem like if this passes that this would stand up to the Supreme Court. So... We'll see how it goes, and it'll be a lot of drama, but certainly, again, one where the Democrats are happier talking about this, I think, than they are talking about, you know, the economy, baby formula shortages, fentanyl crisis, a lot, all of the things that might get top billing if they're not setting a the agenda, which is all the more reason why the Republicans, particularly John Cornyn and Mitch McConnell, why they're helping them, I think is really disastrous for a lot of reasons. So 
um, the bipartisan quote unquote gun control bill will uh, expand background check reviews from three to 10 business days. It's one of the provisions. We're going through all of it. We'll give you more details at as time goes on. Um, but it is the, the I, I think the red flag law is the key one that is the slippery slope to just grabbing guns from whoever the government determines in a subjective fashion should not have guns. And that is directly contra the Second Amendment, and that's why I'm uh, curious to see if this if this does become law, and it likely will. It appears uh, it will, um, whether or not it will hold up to a court. Um, John Cornyn also is selling out America by uh, offering an amnesty. Uh, so he caves on gun control, then he comes out with an amnesty uh, push. The he's advancing amnesty for illegal aliens after striking a deal on gun control, and this got a. Um, uh, this got a a lot of cheers from the Democrat side of the aisle. Alex Padilla from California saying, first guns, now it's immigration. Christian Cinema, that's right, and we're going to do it. Um, It is a lot of positivity towards Cornyn, but only from the Democrat sides. So that's the move now as they're trying to move towards something with DACA, immigration reform, and um, a, a deep concern. I think that that's going to be the next push that we're going to get after this. And maybe, who knows, maybe it's a reaction to court and getting booed by the Texas Republican Party. So, uh, Texas, uh, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. These guys deserve better. Then he went on to attack critics of this civics bill that is being put forward, which a lot of people have said that it allows Democrats to impose critical race theory throughout the country. Uh, Cornyn has uh, said that critics of this are actually putting forward uh, hysterical and untrue claims worthy of Russian active measures campaigns and not at a serious discussion of our bill. So that's a response to a National Review article of all places that said uh, that the Civics Bill, the Civic Secures Democracy Act, uh, will uh, encourage pushing critical race theory in states. Um, the, the CSDA gives federal bureaucrats the power to impose left-wing values. It'll have billions of dollars in federal funding that will entice states to move towards curricula that is preferred by the federal government, which you can bet is going to include things like Common Core, potentially critical race theory, and other radical leftist ideas that are in vogue right now with the left-wing establishment. And John Cornyn's response is that's Russian disinfo, or it's like Russian disinfo, to say that this is something that, that could be used to push critical race theory. Wow. It's amazing. It's a so what a what what a triple whammy. So critical race theory critics are now like Russian disinformation people. I'm going to give you the exact quote again because I'm stunned by this Russian active measures campaigns. And he wants an amnesty, more uh, DACA codification at a minimum, probably worse. And he wants more red flag laws that Democrats can use against Republicans. Nice, nice evening. 
Speaking of immigration, the Democrats have vowed a transformative plan to add a million foreign-born residents to U.S. voter rolls in four years. Only a million. John Binder writes about this at Breitbart. For us, they're vowing to implement a plan that would give green cards uh, to foreign-born residents, uh, to, to give a million foreign-born residents who are on green cards the right to vote. And this will also help them secure more natural American citizenship rights. One, I'm sorry, Our Nation's Future is a group that's launched by a couple of Democrats um, from the House and the Senate. And they want to get the green card holders naturalized quick. Why would they want to get those green card holders naturalized quick? A million extra voters to vote in 2024. That's the point, I think. So maybe this is even about 2026. Maybe they're trying to think down the road that far. They're trying to, they're on a breakneck pace to try to naturalize as many people as they can because they know how the newest immigrants tend to vote. They tend to vote Democrat. Now, as they stay in the country longer and they lay down roots, um, then they eventually become Republican. But off the bat, oh, they vote Democrat. Um, and even establishment media publications, and we've documented a bunch of them at Breitbart, are all starting to admit that uh, rapid demographic changes spurred by mass immigration are tilting the nation toward a permanent Democrat political majority. Axios wrote recently, the single biggest threat to Republicans' long-term viability is demographics. The numbers simply do not lie. There's not a single demographic megatrend that favors Republicans. So that's it. It, it, it is demographics are our destiny. And if Democrats can naturalize uh, um, more Democrats quicker than we can get through to people that Democrats do not have the way forward for our country, then we're still going to lose. It doesn't matter how persuasive our ideas are. It doesn't even matter how many kids we have. Because if Democrats can just import more Democrats, get them naturalized fast, then that will, uh, to bring people in the country who do not necessarily share our values or all, all of our values and then get them on the voter rolls to help Democrats. That's a clear strategy that's taking place. So more happy immigration news. 7,100 border crossers uh, in caravans reaching the U.S. border every single day right now. So... Uh, a caravan of about 12,000 foreign nationals was just disbanded in Mexico, but we're seeing about 7,100 border crossers every single day. So this is the whole trick, is that sometimes the caravan is out there, we focus on one caravan, then it breaks up, but then there's all these other ones coming. So there, it's all tactics. So even while well, one massive group gets disbanded in Mexico, then another one will arrive, and then another one... So every day we're seeing 7,100 at this point. And of course, that number, as we note always, does not include the gotaways who successfully cross and are undetected by agents, which we, it, it, which we believe at Breitbart is uh, between 100 and 200 percent whatever reported number is out there. So if you're hearing 7,100, think between 14,000 and 21,000 is really the real number. So this is why we also need a secure border and we can't uh, give any privileges to people who cross illegally because this is a huge disruption to our country right now. 
There are a lot of people down there at the border who feed me information live. And uh, I would say the word panic is one of the ones that I get from people who text me um, from the border. Tell me how things are going. So they're a complete freak out. Remember, even though Donald Trump did a good job in the fourth year, finally getting the wall going, a lot of it was reinforcing old wall. I think we only got something like 50 miles of new wall of a new wall that wasn't replacing old wall. So there was a certain level of wall that was already there from the Bush years. We reinforced a couple hundred miles of wall, and then we only got like 50 miles of new walls. So there's the, the border is mostly as open as it was, you know, when Trump came down that elevator in 2015. So uh, this is why the Democrats want to talk about gun control, because even if it doesn't hold up, they at least look like they're fighting for their people. Um, and it's a tougher thing for Republicans to debate. Like, why shouldn't there be a little more background checks between 18 and 20 year olds? That, that, that's tougher to do. I'm not saying there isn't a good argument. I'm just saying that that's a tougher debate than um, having the Democrats defend why their policies are leading to uh, perhaps 20,000 illegal immigrants coming across the border every day. So um, this is... Uh, a, a so it's always worth noting is where they're dangling the shiny object in front of you. All right, here's a big win. Kellogg's is dying of wokeness. The Kellogg's company announced that it's breaking itself up into three companies, cereal business, a plant-based food business, and a snack business. This is huge. Uh, you guys might recall that, you know, Brightport, we're not huge into boycotts, um, but we did call for a boycott of Kellogg's. And this was, I think few years back, um, they had uh, basically um, created, turned the company into a far-left social justice operation. Um, they wrote specifically Breitbart did not conform to our values. So they, um, we had a dump Kellogg's campaign, which we launched in 2016, this is when people were boycotting us because Trump won. You guys might recall that Breitbart was, um, we existed, we were very big, tens of millions of readers. And then once Trump won, all of a sudden everyone decided we were the, the problem with all of society in 2016. And um, when this happened, or I guess this might have been, I guess, yeah, this is right after 2016 election. November 30th is when this all happened, 2016. And... Um, the, so we lost a fair bit of advertisers. Many of them came back because there was a huge pressure campaign to get them to drop us. Um, but the, the Kellogg specifically said, we don't conform to their values. And which we took as a further escalation rather than just, you know, advertisers come and go, they go where they think they can make their most money. If they thought at that time, you know, maybe it didn't make sense for them to advertise with us. It, maybe they'd come back, uh, say, Levy. You know, we would move on, they could move on. But then they went out and said, we don't have their values. Well, that's kind of interesting. Here's a quote from me that I said at the time Breitbart News is the largest platform for pro family content anywhere on the internet. We're fearless advocates for traditional American values. Perhaps most important among them is freedom of speech, and our motto is more voices, not less. For Kellogg's, an American brand to blacklist Breitbart News, in order to placate left-wing totalitarians is a disgraceful act of cowardice. 
That is, they insult our incredibly diverse staff and spit in the face of our 45 million highly engaged, highly perceptive, highly loyal readers, many of whom are Kellogg's customers. Boycotting Breitbart News for presenting mainstream American ideas and act of discrimination and intense prejudice. If you serve Kellogg's products to your family, you are serving up bigotry at your breakfast table. Nice. That's some fire. I was spitting fire in 2016. Um, but anyway, uh, Kellogg's stock is basically where it was. So they had no growth for the last six years ever since they decided to go woke. So maybe not go woke, go broke, but certainly go woke and a stagnate plateau and uh, don't grow at all. And uh, now they are dying. So they had to break up. And I th think this is a pretty big win for the good guys. Um, and uh, this is, yeah, shares were... $82 at that in April of 2016 and they have not seen those numbers since um, let's see what it is today because it probably went up when they announced this because whenever they make a move like this the market ends, yeah so they're at 68 bucks now so it is down significantly um, for yeah it's almost identical to where it was five years ago so five years ago it was at 70 bucks 68 bucks now so basically no growth for uh, you know five six years and that's something where it sends a signal that their shareholders not making any money not a penny on owning Kellogg so it's time to move on so just note uh, get your still by all means get your uh, uh, your your uh, refined carbohydrate elsewhere please you know, you should dump Kellogg's even if you don't agree with me politically or don't like boycotts in general. It's just, it's just stuff is just bad for you. Like stuff is just really bad for you. Almost all their products are sugary, refined carbohydrate, just terrible stuff. It, it's worse than eating nothing because you get hungrier. If you, if your breakfast is a Fruit Loops or Apple Jacks or Pop Tarts, you you aren't just getting the unnecessary empty calories in the morning. But you're spiking your insulin, so you're going to get hungrier during the day, and you're going to just, you're going to balloon. So just don't eat this stuff anyway. Um, so after years of disappointing performance is breaking up, so uh, John Carney's written this, written about this for us at Breitbart. It's also our Breitbart Business Digest subject. So big win for the good guys in this one. Um, yesterday was election day, and we have all the details on the front page of Breitbart. Um, nothing that... I feel super compelled to mention at the top other than uh, Katie Britt beating Mo Brooks by a big margin in Alabama. I, I liked both of them. Uh, Britt might be a more exciting candidate, though Mo Brooks has been a great congressman and um, certainly would have been a terrific senator. But Katie Britt's is all the right stuff, too. So uh, that seemed to be the one that people took the most interest in. And that's uh, that's where that is. But Matt Boyles tracked so much of it for us at Breitbart. So uh, feel free to check it out. I can't resist trying to figure out another way to get the Biden falling off a bike into the news. And China is now using a photo of Biden uh, falling off a bike to mock the U.S. position on tariffs. So uh, we woke up to a Global Times story, which is Chinese propaganda, that the U.S. seeks dialogue with China to ease inflation pressure. Lifting additional tariffs is not a gift for bargaining. And what would you think would be the natural photo choice by the editors of the Global Times? Naturally, Biden falling off a bike. So, pretty amazing. Um, I also mentioned on yesterday's broadcast during my interview with John Carney that the uh, White House was uh, still blaming Putin for inflation, which is just flat-out false. And now we looked at some of the data. Just 11% of Americans blame Putin for high energy prices. 
So that's if you took Biden's hardest core base, you know, let's say the 29 to 35 percent of people who are with Biden no matter what. Even out of that group, only a third of them are buying what he's selling, that Putin is really responsible for the energy price hikes. And the, but the White House can't stop talking about him. They're talking about how Putin is now weaponizing food. President Putin is, no kidding, weaponizing food. I guess that was John Kirby that wasn't uh, Joe Biden, but still, you should do the Biden voice or whatever you can. Let's just call it what it is. He's weaponizing food. Come on, man. I weaponize soft swirl with jimmies on it. Sometimes I get two different flavors at the same time. I like to eat it with my aviators on. Delaware Beach, delicious. So, again, he never said any of that stuff, but he, he could have. He very well could have said all that. Um, but that's, that's now what they're doing. They just want to talk about Russia all the time. And I'm not saying that Russia isn't weaponizing food. It's just kind of a funny, kind of a funny thing. And why we have left ourselves a, uh, which was America's breadbasket. I mean, the world's breadbasket, the United States of America. We shouldn't be vulnerable here at all. And we should be in a position where we should be able to save the world, but we're not. Because we don't think in terms of this uh, strategery. We need to be much more strategic uh, on this stuff. So just pointing your finger at Putin is not something that is satisfying in a country that used to believe the buck stops here. Biden said yesterday that we need more refining capacity and this idea they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. Uh, basically making energy companies responsible for what's going on with our pain at the pump, etc., the problem is, is that Biden had killed a refinery as recently as May 14th. And there was a 1 million acre oil and gas lease in Alaska that was killed on May 12th. This was just a month ago. He's killing refineries and a million dollars of oil and gas. I'm sorry, a million acres of oil and gas um, fertile land for leasing. This is arguably the scandal of his administration, his he, the way he has lied to all of us about how he's beholden to the green lobby, he's beholden to the green base, and he is trying his best not to cross them. And he's, try, and he's mostly getting away with it because so are the, the, the corporate media. The corporate media is all in on this. They're all into ESG. They're all into this, this uh, wokeification of our corporations. We do environmental, social, and governance. This is where the investors use non-financial factors to make their corporate decisions. And the first thing on their list is, is this good for the sustainability, for the environment, whatever. And that's Biden's thing, is that he's not going to have solutions to these things and involve more drilling. He's committed to this. And he mocked sensitive oil company CEOs for blaming um, his energy policies on high gas, uh, on high gas prices. He mocked them, even though he won't allow us to drill baby drill. He is slowing down refineries. He blocked Keystone XL. So if America gets the memo, though, and they push Biden out, who's going to take his place? Well, Kamala Harris might not be that person. The DNC had set up a event where a fundraiser in California where she was going to be charging $15,000 to attendees that will get a uh, or a women's leadership forum 
where she was supposed to get $15,000 per photo. And they did not sell enough, so they had to postpone the event until the fall. It was supposed to be last month, so now it's being pushed to the fall. And they're going to only charge 5000 so they had to cut a rate two-thirds. It's like one of those going-out-of-business furniture stores that are always uh, going out of business, constantly, constantly going out of business. So who can save the Biden-Harris ticket? We know the Clintons are thinking about it. Uh, could the Obamas? Probably not, because they're making a boatload of cash. Uh, they stroke a, They just uh, cut a big deal with Amazon. Amazon's uh, Audible. So they left Spotify, now they cut a big deal with Audible. Uh, the Obamas, they're just going around all these high-tech companies with a bag out, like it's trick-or-treating. You think a burlap sack, pillowcase. <laughs> Please put the money in here, we'll take it. So their production company, which is just so genius by the Obamas, just gets going around. They create, hey, we have a production company. Do you guys got any money for us? Absolutely, Mr. Bezos says. He pulls out a wad of folded bills from his back pocket. Is this enough? No, I've got more. All right, now here's a question I have for all of you. And we had this debate in our editorial call at Breitbart News yesterday. Um, two celebrities went to Ukraine unexpectedly yesterday and photos emerged. One is Ben Stiller, uh, who is the comedian and now uh, mostly a director. I think the stuff he's directing is generally considered pretty good these days. And then Attorney General Merrick Garland, who visited Ukraine to reaffirm the U.S. commitment to help identify, apprehend, and prosecute individuals involved in war crimes and atrocities. Now, uh, here is the debate in the Breitbart newsroom. I think Merrick Garland showing up there makes the whole operation look goofier than Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller does this stuff all the time. He, I think he's actually a UN ambassador for refugees. So celebrities do this all the time to raise awareness. They, they work on their movies or their shows. And then when it wraps, they try to do something to make them feel good about themselves because they're not satisfied with entertaining people for a living. They really want to be, you know, UN ambassadors. So they really want to be diplomats or politicians. So they go around, they try to do something productive. Um, so it, it doesn't shock me that a guy like Ben Stiller, who's done this stuff in the past, um, that he would go and do this. But what does strike me is weird is the U.S. Attorney General, who apparently has nothing better to do than to fly all the way to Ukraine to make an unannounced visit to show solidarity with Zelensky. Uh, do you think he brought another bag of cash with him? Because it seems like whenever Zelensky needs it, we're there at the bag. Mayor Garland taking the call. Vladimir, my man, got that bag for you. I'm going to fly it over, deliver it personally. Bag of cash for you. No, no oversight. Why would you oversight? Just whatever you want to do with it. It's all yours, buddy. It, it, what's going on here? There's nothing else going on in this country, in this country, Mayor Garland? How about all the Supreme Court justices who aren't protected which, uh, that, uh, at their homes? Maybe you can focus on that. That said, though, maybe it's good that he's doing this because then maybe it's less time he spent, um, you know, investigating all those uh, evil MAGA supporters from January the 6th. So another January the 6th committee hearing yesterday, I, I didn't get the sense that anything really major happened other than one man fell asleep. Um, which I thought was always funny optics. A guy nodding off behind, right behind some of the key witnesses. So 
Um, it, it, it does seem like the narrative is that Trump is unfit for office, which will, uh, I think, still spur Trump, make it more likely that he'll run. And then he'll have a harder time winning in general because a lot of people who are in the never Trump camp, for example, will just not want to deal with him. I think that's the move. And that seems to be what's still playing out. But not a lot of big revelations that I've seen um, because it seems like even if there's a crime that Trump allegedly committed, what is it? It is Andy McCarthy, who's a very smart guy who writes at National Review and is on Fox News, who is sort of never Trump, I think. But he says that the only plausible crime really or the most plausible is obstruction of Congress, whatever that means. So it doesn't sound like they've got Trump on anything criminal. They're just trying to portray him as the, the orange man bad, which they're doing somewhat effectively. That's what, if you're paying close attention, but very few people are. I think we had a story at Breitbart that 11%, yeah, 10% of Americans are following the hearings closely. All right, a few more before we go to the phones at 866-95-PATRIOT. Twitter board unanimously approved of Elon Musk's $44 billion takeover bid. I guess that's good. Again, I'm rooting for this to go forward. You guys know I'm mixed on Musk, but I hope he succeeds here. So I guess that's somewhat good news there. Um, pay attention to this airport's narrative. Airports around the world canceling flights amid staff shortages. So I thought that perhaps American pulling out of three cities, including ILIP. Is that right? Or ISLIP? It's ILIP. I mispronounced a area in New York yesterday. I got a bunch of email on it. And um, look, guys, I, I, I do a lot more reading than... That's how I get most of my news. So forgive me if I don't pronounce everything perfectly. But I always will take your criticisms offline. Um, but it's a, the American Airlines pulling out of three cities because they have staff shortages. Um, and this is happening around the world as well. So uh, the freedom to fly is going to be infringed upon, I think, uh, wherever you're going these days. And uh, prepare for a little bit more pain if you're uh, going on a big trip. A Harlem Democrat who wants to defund the police has now moved to a wealthy neighborhood after getting robbed. So this is just another reason why it is November can't come soon enough and you getting 10,000 folks registered to vote to help us vote out these limousine liberals would be a great thing to do. But Assemblywoman Uline Yu, Democrat of Lower Manhattan, that uh, she had been robbed and then now she's out. Or she, I'm sorry, she had, she had been robbed in Harlem and then that's why she moved to the um, uh, financial district with her quote, tech bro, then fiance, when New York Post framed it. And finally, the CNN demographic ratings have crashed to a 22-year low. I think they're moving pretty slow, making the shakeups there. I've been saying this. Discovery takes over. We're told there are big changes afoot. They still got the same goofballs pretty much throughout the company. Only Chris Cuomo is gone and uh, Jeff Zucker, which of course is a big deal, but all of the people Zucker's installed are still there. And the ratings are now at the lowest they've ever seen in the demographic key demographic 25 to 54 which is most important for advertisers for whatever reason and um, this is the lowest it's been since the year I think it was about what it was in 2000 so it's, yeah that's right 2000 22 years and yet the heads have not rolled yet <laughs> 
Our guest today is fan favorite and Breitbart News legal contributor Ken Klukowski. We get his take on all the Supreme Court slate, particularly Dobbs, and then his take on whether or not this latest proposed bipartisan gun control legislation actually is constitutional. Let's take a listen. We're in a very rare position here. Here we are at the end of the Supreme Court's term. They have more than a dozen cases left to be decided. And of those cases, there were two religious liberty cases that are both coming down to uh, uh, to the final days here. The one that we're going to have decided sometime in the next week and a half is absolutely huge. But that should not overshadow the one that came down yesterday, which was by itself a major, major win for religious liberty and the the biggest victory for school choice in American history, I would say. And that is uh, Carson v. Macon. This is a, a case out of the state of Maine. And the court here built on uh, a line of jurisprudence that they've been working on since 2017. Uh, and that is regarding the free exercise of religion. Now, 20 years ago, the Supreme Court had said regarding school choice in general that if it's parents making independent decisions separate from the government, that that doesn't violate the Establishment Clause uh, of the Constitution that says government cannot establish a religion. But you have this other part of the First Amendment called the Free Exercise Clause, your fundamental right to live out uh, your faith. And in 2017, the Supreme Court used that to strike down a Missouri measure that did not allow Christian schools to participate with other schools in adding rubberized surfaces to their school playgrounds uh, that to, to keep children safe. The, the court, in essence, there said this has nothing to do with school. This is just about playgrounds and keeping kids safe. But then a couple of years ago in the Espinoza case in Montana, the court took that one extra step because this was a school aid program in Montana, and that was to actually pay for tuition. And the Supreme Court there built on Trinity Lutheran and said in Espinoza that the free exercise clause does not allow the government to discriminate against an organization because of its religious status. What happened yesterday was uh, the dissent in yesterday said, yeah, but back in Espinoza, it was about religious status. Here in this, in these schools in the state of Maine, they're actually teaching theology. They're teaching the Bible. They're teaching the Christian faith. And even their secular subjects like science and math are all being taught through a through the lens of faith, like the, explaining math to be the laws that God has put in place to govern the universe that he created. So it's a pervasive Christian instruction. And they said this would be funding a school where, where some of this money is going to the salary of people who are actually teaching religion. And in a six to three decision, which is a big deal. Chief Justice John Roberts not only came along with this, he wrote the decision himself. In a six to three decision, they took the next step and said that the Constitution does not allow government to discriminate against schools or any or in any way penalize them because they are teaching their faith. They must be given equal treatment as secular schools. Huge, huge victory for religious liberty. Uh, it seems like a no-brainer, though, from my vantage point. What is the—were you surprised by this one, though, Ken, that this came down in our favor? I, uh, I was not surprised after oral argument. I, it's, it, now, only, 
I'll say from experience, you know, you always want to be careful in going out on a limb to, to make predictions on a case based on what was said in an oral argument, especially someone like Chief Justice Roberts, who, t- who frequently, you know, kicks the tires, takes, uh, takes out for a test drive both sides' uh, arguments, uh, sometimes plays devil's advocate just to see – you know, if, if you can stress test someone's position, like like how how well their theory fits difficult questions. Uh, but but all that said, what was said during oral argument left me encouraged that there was at least five votes. Uh, I was not surprised, but encouraged that Chief Justice Roberts likewise uh, was in the majority. And again, as the senior most justice in the majority, because the chief is always senior on whichever side of a case he is. He, he gets to decide who write, who in the majority writes the opinion, and he chose to assign it to himself to write. So I think this is uh, – you know, there have been plenty of instances where conservatives have been very, very disappointed by Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, I think uh, everyone should be uh, encouraged by yesterday's result. That was, uh, that was a – I wouldn't call it a surprise, but it was a pleasant development. Uh, good. Okay, so let's take a moment to talk about the elephant in the room. We're all waiting on the Dobbs decision. Are we going to get the, Are we going to get um, rulings tomorrow, Ken? Uh, yes, Alex. We are. We're going to have decisions handed down tomorrow, Thursday, uh, and also next Monday. Now, those are the only two remaining days on the court's calendar for for open sessions. Uh, Typically, at the end of a term, as you go into the last week, it's very common for the Supreme Court uh, at the end of its last scheduled hearing to announce another session later on in that same week to hand down additional decisions. Given that there's over a dozen cases yet to come down, uh, I'm, uh, I'm confident that's going to be the case. So I think Monday will not be the last day. That, uh, that decisions are handed down, but I do think they will finish up sometime in the course of next week. Are you the mindset as I am that they're going to wait to the last day at this point, or do you feel like they're going to hold the tradition and just put out the cases uh, whenever they're done? So if Dobbs is done, we could see it tomorrow. We could see it Monday. Uh, you think that maybe it's just sort of up for grabs in that way? Well, and you stated the tradition correctly. Normally, Whenever a case is done, uh, that's that's the day they hand it out. Now, frequently that means that the major cases often come down in the final days only because, understand, these decisions, especially when you count the concurring and dissenting opinions, these decisions can be 60 pages, 100 pages, 120 pages long. Uh, and, wow. uh, and no written work product, anyone who's ever written more than 700 words knows that, you know, nothing you write is ever perfect. There's always room for improvement. So the challenge with a court decision is you, you don't want the perfect to become the enemy of the good. At some point, you have to say, okay, this is as close to perfect as we're going to get. Let's get it out the door. But when you get these major cases, and especially something historic like the Dobbs case will be one way or the other, uh, there, there's always some justice with a concurrence or a dissent who's like, you know what? I'm going to go back and reword that one sentence on page 25 you know, to maybe say it a little bit better. Uh, so that's that's why these things normally get towards the end. Uh, I, I I still at this point would think that they're just going to hand it down when it's ready. But we are in uncharted waters, so maybe it's possible that they are knowing, you know how knowing how much of a ruckus uh, is going to happen after they hand down the decision. Uh, that it, it's not outside the realm of possibility 
even though it's normally not done, to maybe hold this until the last day, make it the last decision, and then they're going to get out of town for a few months. What does it do to the institution of the Supreme Court if uh, it does become um, apparent or at least the perceived consensus that the Dobbs decision was influenced politically one way or the other? Uh, How bad is that for the court? Uh, Alex, if that were to happen, it would be catastrophic. Uh, for the Supreme Court, it would undermine the entire purpose uh, of our third branch of government. The One of the hallmarks of a free society is an independent judiciary, a court system that is not influenced by popular demand or by politics, and also one that whenever elected politicians get so caught up in the fervor of a, of a moment that when they pass laws based on popular demand that actually infringe on individual rights, the court is the last resort to actually vindicate liberty. They are supposed to be 100 percent insulated from political influence. That is why they have lifetime tenure, and it's why their pay cannot be uh, reduced. So if you were to have a historic matter like Dobbs here regarding Roe v. Wade, where a justice shows that he can be influenced by that and change the outcome of a case, if you if you allow that to happen, then it'll happen next time, and it'll happen the time after that until the whole purpose of an independent court system is just eroded and eventually eradicated. Ken, we'll talk about this more down the road, but uh, the new gun control legislation that's bipartisan that the Senate unveiled yesterday, it includes more background checks for 18 to 20-year-olds, um, the closing of the boyfriend loophole, which is, I guess, where there's higher consequences for domestic abuse if you're married to the person. Um, but most importantly, I think it, it pays states to enforce red flag laws, which we know are a big slippery slope, um, to massive, massive infringements on the Second Amendment. Uh, I want your overall take on it, but in particular, do you think this holds up to any constitutional challenges? Well, Alex, we're going to have to see what the final language is, because I do not think that what the Senate has put forward is what some people in the House would be willing to vote for. And given the razor thin uh, majority that Speaker Pelosi has on the House side, when you get radical members like the squad, uh, I just can't see them even trying to go for any sort of uh, of, of compromise uh, along those lines. So I think we need to see what the final language is going to be in the package that both chambers can vote on. Certainly, if you're talking about uh, increasing funding to support mental health records into the NICS system, the National Background Check System, that's one thing. But when you're getting into issues where it's possible that law-abiding and peaceable citizens could actually be disarmed, uh, that gets into that gets into a real serious constitutional uh, uh, territory. So I, I know we only have a few seconds left. I I, I don't want to try to to unpack beyond the the big picture. Uh, beyond that, at this point, I'll just say that I would be surprised, given how radical some elements of the left are. That if this package were to pass the Senate, uh, I'd I'd be real surprised if it passes the House in identical form. And then I think the question for analysis would be what sort of package, if any, 
could both chambers agree on? And what constitutional problems does that package raise? Yeah, and I think my political take on this is that even if this something passes and then gets blocked by the Constitution, they'll still be seen as a win for the left because then they can claim they're the victims of a broken system and uh, score points with their base anyway. So I think it's kind of a win-win for them, which is why we're seeing it. Our caller of today is Robbie from Missouri who opines on gun control and I think he's got an interesting take that is valid, something that adds to the pie. So let's hear from Robbie. Hey, good morning, Alex. Um, let's go, Brandon. I agree. Um, I agree. Let's calls. go, Brandon. <laughs> hey, man, just a quick uh, quick note on the Greitens ad. Uh, I know you talked about some yesterday. Yeah. But uh, the incredible timing on the, the hunting rhinos, and then here we go, the rhinos approve this unforgivable vote on gun control. Um, yeah, the, 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 this is the test. This is the test on that Greitens ad, Robbie. Is that are we more outraged that Greitens is using hunting imagery for humans, which is it's it's inarguably edgy to do that. I understand. Uh, are you more outraged by that, or you're more outraged that Republicans are now just like blatantly in our face, uh, saying we're going to red flag law you and they're going to start taking away our gun rights? What's more offensive to you? No, I mean, right. For me, it's pretty clear. You know, that, well, that's the question. Well, for me, I, it's an obvious answer, and of course, I love I love the ad. I, I, I'm big. I like Greitens. I, he got totally screwed on the Kim Gardner investigation and all that. But I I, I love I did, the yes. uh, I love the approach on this. I, I think it's and uh, to point out too that uh, I think Kim Guilfoyle is uh, chair of his campaign, um, who I think it's a solid pretty savvy move to just to shift focus to the to the attack in the rhinos and i think it came at a perfect time we've got roy blunt who's a thank god is on the way out um he voted for this of course but i think the attack is good missouri's a very very friendly gun rights state and um i hope it works for him he's i think i real clear politics has him up plus six or plus four in a couple other polls on the primary i'll certainly be voting for him um, I hope other other people here. You got to admit, you got to admit, Robbie, that in this moment, that someone who's fearless like that is a breath of fresh air. And I'm not saying that we could go through Greitens' record and there's going to be a lot of stuff I'm going to love. There's going to be a couple things I'm not going to like, but we can do that different time. But I, I I do kind of dig the sort of two middle fingers right in the face of the media. It's just it's hard not to like it at this point. I do too. And he did the same at the beginning before he ran for governor. Um, the same type of ad with the Navy SEAL type of, uh, you know, theme and, you know, shooting the gun, blowing, blowing things up. I mean, coming up to blow up the, the establishment. That's how he got elected in the first place. I hope enough people stuck with him because, of course, you could pick him apart. Well, on the personal level, he made some big mistakes. It probably cost himself an unbelievable career in politics, which I hate because he was going to be really good. And uh, that definitely yeah, definitely cost him a little bit, but I hope, hope, I hope he can recover. And good chance for it here. Yeah, there's a good chance. Thanks for the call, Robbie. Appreciate it. I got American parts. I got American That's all for today's show. Thanks to producer Haley and Robert Marlowe, who helped me pick topics. And most importantly, all of you. We've told 10,000 friends and family members about Brightport News, the Brightport News Daily Podcast. Listen to the show on the SXM app or at 6 a.m. Eastern Time every morning on Patriot 125. All that helps, and we can't thank you enough. See you tomorrow.